Revelation chapter 1, and we're going to be reading from verse 9 through to the end. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are, that are, those, to, sorry, those, that are those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And this is God's word. Well, good morning, everyone. It's an absolute privilege to be here with you to open up God's Word this morning. If we haven't met before, my name is Justin, and I'm a student pastor here at GBC. And if you're new or visiting here this morning with us, I'd also like to extend my welcome to you. Um, I'd love it if I could shake your hand and meet you after the service as well, and we're so glad that you could join us. As Tony mentioned, that uh, we've been doing this series over Christmas that we have called Crown Him. And we've been looking at these purple passages or these standout passages in the New Testament that speak to us powerfully about who Jesus is and what he has done in bringing about salvation and giving us this great reason to crown him as our king this Advent season. And if you're like me, Christmas is feeling like a distant memory uh, as so much has already happened in the last two weeks since then. And so let uh, let me briefly remind us Uh, of what it is that we've looked at together. So in John 1, way back on the 18th of December, we considered the incarnation 
And we saw how Jesus, the Word who became flesh, is the eternal God who made us and the glorious God who is among us. Then on Christmas morning, Tony preached from Philippians 2 and showed that in Jesus' humiliation, in his taking on flesh, he is the king who serves, who saves, and who reigns. And then last week, we saw in the exaltation of Jesus in Hebrews 1 that God has spoken to us. He has made himself known to us and made full atonement for us in the risen and exalted Lord Jesus. And if all wasn't enough, and it definitely is, to call us to crown Jesus as our King over our lives, not just at Christmas, but in 2023 and beyond. This morning we're going to look at the glorification of our Lord Jesus in Revelation 1. So with Tony already having read our passage for us, let us pray now that God would show Jesus to us clearly and that we might respond as he would have us. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we need your help now as you speak to us through your word. Would you please pour your spirit out on us, that he would open our eyes and soften our hearts to see and to receive Jesus as our King and as our Saviour. Might we, with John, fall on our faces before Jesus and receive his comfort and grace, and might it cause us to live faithfully for you with patient endurance in the midst of the trials which in your sovereignty come to us. We ask this for your glory and for our good, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, I want to begin this morning by asking you a question. How is your New Year's resolution going? How is it going? We're officially one week into 2023 now, and a lot has seemed to happen already, at least for us, uh, in the Forey household. Um, uh, I do, I do want to share these two things with you just so that you can be praying with us and also that you can be uh, rejoicing with us as well. So our 2020, 2023 started off with uh, a phone call at the dinner table uh, from my mum saying that my pop, who many of you know here, George Anderson, uh, he had a stroke last Sunday night. Um, he actually had two clots, one in the left side and one in the right side of his brain. And, uh, and he was down in Esperance at the time and they called the ambulance, they rushed him to hospital, and a couple of days later, he was able to fly back here to Perth, where he's getting some care now. Um, And praise God, he's doing really well. And so please continue to pray for his recovery. Um, Yeah, we've already seen it in leaps and bounds this week, which is amazing, praise God. Uh, But he's going to have a long road ahead of him, so please, yeah, keep him in your prayers. And so, yeah, that was quite a a wild start to 2023. Um, And I think it just got all the more wilder as... The next day, uh, Stacey and I and the kids, we packed up, headed down to Serpentine Baptist Camp, uh, where I got to preach to um, about 35 teenagers there that week and uh, open up John's Gospel with them, um, which was just such a joy. It was, it was an absolute privilege, uh, especially as we saw uh, five teenagers give their lives to Jesus for the first time, which was just incredible. Um, and so, yeah, please rejoice uh, with me in God for that. Um, But yeah, this week has been pretty crazy and any resolutions that I might have had uh, certainly are not at the forefront of my mind anymore. Uh, And you might have started the new year uh, counting down from 10 with the excitement of your friends and your family and the beautiful sense that a fresh start has inspired you to make 2023 better or at least different. 
Uh, I did a quick search on some of the top resolutions made last week, uh, and they might sound uh, similar to yours, and I don't think they've changed much in the last however many years we've been doing resolutions. So the top five are uh, exercise more, eat healthier, lose weight, save more money, and spend more time with family and friends. So I think that's pretty standard across the board. Uh, Some of you may even have added to that list in your own Christianese way uh, to read your Bible more, to pray more, to be more regular at church, uh, maybe even just to start coming to church. Um, And there's no doubt that these are all such good things to do. But I'm sure that we're all well aware of the fallibility of New Year's resolutions. When real life kicks in, when you go back to work after holidays, when that first cold or flu hits you for the year, or when you reach Leviticus in your Bible reading, it's so easy to quickly forget those things that you were so eager to do. And we can all chuckle about it because we've all done it, haven't we? But I want to suggest to you that the Apostle John would want us to know that none of those New Year's resolutions compare to the one that he would want us to have now. I mean, you might be starting to wonder, is there a New Year's resolution list in the Bible? Well, no. And I'm not even really advocating for resolutions. But the concept of committing yourself to a particular goal or end is certainly a biblical one. And the resolution I think that John would want us to make is to stay committed to following Jesus. No matter what happens, no matter what the cost in 2023. What I want us to see this morning is that no matter what trial or tribulation comes our way, the risen and reigning and glorified Lord Jesus, who is sovereign over all things, strengthens us to be faithful until the end. So what is it about our book, the book of Revelation, and our passage this morning that would bring us to this resolve? Well, first of all, that trials and tribulations will come our way, which we must conquer. Uh, The book of Revelation uh, was written by the Apostle John around the year 90 AD to a group of churches who were suffering under sporadic persecution by the Romans. While those living under Roman rule were required to worship Caesar as Lord, Christians would refuse, wouldn't they, insisting that there is only one Lord, Jesus Christ. So this would tend to lead to their persecution. It wouldn't be uncommon for a Christian uh, who had a neighbour that was grumpy at them for whatever particular reason to be dobbed into the authorities by them for being a Christian. And while Christians during this period weren't usually sought out to be martyred or persecuted, it was typical for them to suffer extreme social pressures and exclusions because they were unwilling to join in with the cultural norm. Does that sound familiar at the moment? John writes to these seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And he writes for every Christian who is to hear the words of this book, to strengthen them and to encourage them that Jesus is in control and that if they endure until the final day, they would enter into the new Jerusalem. This book, as stated in the introduction in verses 1 to 3, have a look there with me in your Bibles if you have it, is the revelation of Jesus Christ, 
which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written, for the time is near. Those words are more true today than they were 2,000 years ago. The question is, how can we hear the words of this book and keep what is written in it? I mean, if much of it is prophetic writings about what is to come, how do we keep them? How do we obey? Well, that is that we are to endure until the end, that we are to conquer over the things that threaten to lead us to faithlessness, these trials and tribulations. Uh, If you've read Revelation, or if you remember the series that were done on the seven churches uh, here at GBC a few years ago, this is how Jesus speaks to each of the seven churches, doesn't he? Towards the end of each of the address to them, he says, uh, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life. To the one who conquers, they will not be hurt by the second death. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on it. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot out his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels." The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Each of these are such a beautiful, stunning images of the reality of our salvation, aren't they? If we conquer... If we persevere, if we remain faithful, these words are so crucial for us because they will strengthen us to endure, to conquer, to remain faithful to Jesus until the end. Just like the things in life that cause us to become unfaithful with our New Year's resolutions, there are things that threaten to cause us to become unfaithful to Jesus, aren't there? Sometimes we might feel like Revelation isn't applicable because we have just such comfortable lives here in the Western world. Or that what is written is just plain weird or hard to understand. But John's understanding is that persecution, tribulation, suffering, the need for patient endurance come part and parcel with following Jesus. Have a look there at verse 9 of chapter 1 with me. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. We see these three things, don't we? Tribulation, kingdom, and patient endurance. Now, we might be tempted to pull these three things apart and to treat them separately. But that's not what the Greek grammar is doing. It's not what the book of Revelation is doing. And I think the most clear and compelling argument is that that is not what the experience of Jesus is. 
in Jesus, John says, in Jesus, do we experience all three of these things. In our union with Jesus, with our relationship and fellowship and intimacy with him, as we walk in his ways, tribulation, kingdom, and patient endurance will be experienced. Because that was the experience of our Lord, wasn't it? The letter to the Hebrews shows us how Jesus was the most faithful one who suffered even though he was righteous. Yes, he suffered in ways that, praise God, we will never have to, but the life of faithfulness that he lived in the midst of trial and tribulation, he lived as an example for us. He is the pioneer of our faith. That is, he is the leader, the one who set off before us all and he leads the way and sets the example that we ought to imitate. As John describes him in verse 5, he is the faithful witness. Tribulation, the kingdom, patient endurance are all expected in the life of the Christian. While we will have trials and tribulations and we have great need for patient endurance, we have also been made priests to our God and given a place in his kingdom, haven't we? It is, of course, not all doom and gloom for those who are called to be faithful, but we are partners in the kingdom of God. In verse 6 of chapter 1, John tells us that by Jesus, we together have been made a kingdom and priests to his God and Father. There is no doubt that in some sense we reign with Jesus now. But we live our lives in a time which theologians call the now, but not yet. Jesus, he is risen. He has been exalted. He is seated at the right hand of the Father and his work is indeed accomplished. His kingdom has been established. But it has not been consummated yet, has it? We are still waiting for all things to be put under his feet. It's like the parable which Jesus tells us about a king who entrusts his things to his servants and then goes off on this long journey. The kingdom is his, but he has not returned yet to establish his rule and reign over all things. And so we wait patiently for his return, don't we? We have great need for patient endurance the nature of our salvation and the pattern set by Jesus himself and then by his apostles as well is suffering now and glory later. We are to endure in our sufferings in this now but not yet period of the kingdom. This is what we are called to as those who are in Christ. One of the ways in which John partook in this tribulation was being exiled to the island called Patmos, as we read here in our passage. Uh, It's very likely that John would have been the last of the 12 apostles to be alive at this point. And he would have heard horrific stories of his closest friends being burned alive, tortured, crucified upside down, beheaded. Many in the churches that he would have cared for over the years also would have been martyred. He was no stranger to persecution and tribulation. And what was the reason 
that he was in exile on the island called Patmos? It was on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. We read that in verse 9. Because John was unwilling to deny the truths of the gospel and to bow the knee to his persecutors, he was exiled. So John here, he's not engaging in some theoretical, theological reflection that is far from the suffering of his readers. He knows firsthand what it is to suffer for the gospel. He is our brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. And he knows how much we need this revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, of course, we're not covering the whole book. So the question is for us this morning, how does this glorious vision of Jesus that John had, how does this vision of Jesus strengthen us and help us to persevere and to be faithful until the end? Because the reality is we need to be strengthened to persevere, don't we? There is no doubt that our world is becoming increasingly post-Christian. It's becoming harder and harder to stand for the gospel without suffering in some sense for it. We may not be losing our lives, but many have lost friendships, families, jobs and opportunities for their faith. The question is, will you stand for Jesus when your sister or brother makes really hard life, bad life choices and expects you to support them? Will you stand for Jesus if you're made to promote LGBT agenda by your workplace? Will you stand for Jesus when your family or your work friends don't want to invite you to things because you're different? And that pressure is rising every month, let alone every year, isn't it? How we need to be gripped by this glorious vision of Jesus to strengthen us and to help us to persevere and to be faithful until the end. So let us look again to this glorious vision of, that John had of Jesus, that he is the risen and glorified Lord Jesus who is sovereign over all things. Let me read it again from verses 12 through to 16. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. What a sight that would have been. I mean, it's no wonder that John fell at his feet as though dead. I mean, simply by imagining this in our mind's eye, it can get us to some of, to some of the way of persevering, can't it? That it fills us with awe and with wonder at this God who took on flesh. It stirs us to worship and reminds us that he is far greater than anything that we could ever imagine. And it ought to. 
But I think there is something more in this description that can take us further toward remaining faithful. It is what each of these very specific descriptions actually tell us about Jesus, about who he is, about what he is like. And ultimately, that is why we can and ought to keep on trusting him no matter what. So John sees these golden lampstands when he turns after hearing this voice. And we find out later on in verse 20 that these seven golden lampstands, they're the seven churches to whom he is writing to. And the first thing that John recognizes is that one like a son of man is standing in their midst. Now, while we might brush over this and get on to, you know, the really vivid, the good parts of the vision, I think that this would have grabbed the attention of John's readers right away. For this phrase, one like a son of man, is taken straight out of Daniel 7, where Daniel has experienced an incredible vision of his own. This is Daniel 7, 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. It's clear that Jesus is the one prophesied in Daniel 7, isn't it? Jesus is one who was presented before the Ancient of Days and was given an everlasting dominion and glory and a kingdom that shall not be destroyed. He has all power and authority over all peoples and nations and languages. His rule is universal. And this same Jesus, the king of all kings, is standing in the midst of the seven churches. He is with them. They have not been left alone to fend for themselves, to be distant from him. He has not forgotten them in their suffering and in their tribulation but he is near. He is in their midst. One like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. These are the clothes of a royal figure, a dignified and an exalted one. The hairs of his head were were white, like white wool, like snow. And this image of the white hair is also taken straight out of Daniel 7, just a few verses earlier. But In those verses, Daniel wasn't describing the Son of Man. No, he was describing the Ancient of Days. The Ancient of Days has this white, wool-like hair. I mean, now has John gotten, uh, gotten Jesus confused with the eternal God? Has he remembered his Daniel 7 properly or seen his vision clearly? Absolutely, he has. He is fully affirming that Jesus is much more than an an exalted, created being. Jesus is eternal wisdom himself, which is represented by the white hair. Like wool and like snow, the purest of whites. There is nothing outside of Jesus' wisdom and knowledge. He is co-eternal with the Father. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the one who is and who was and who 
and who is to come, the Almighty. Jesus is the Ancient of Days. His eyes were like a flame of fire. This image is picked up from Daniel 10 this time, describing divine insight and fierce judgment. Nothing is hidden from the sight of our Lord. He sees everything, and one day we know that he will judge everything rightly. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. This is describing his glory and his strength, the purest intent and direction of his actions. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. Um, It's said that the sound of the Niagara Falls is like four billion people speaking to you all at once. What an awesome image, isn't it? That this describes the power and the strength of the words of our Lord Jesus. They are majestic and effective. And this is another Old Testament reference again, this time from Ezekiel 1 and Ezekiel 43. And in those passages, they were attributed to Yahweh. And now here we have John attributing them to Jesus. In his right hand, he held seven stars, which again we find out later that they are the angels of the churches that are likely appointed to care and to represent the churches. And so we see that Jesus is sovereign over and in complete control of these glorious angelic beings that are likened to stars, these gigantic blazing balls of fire that are appointed to care for his churches. He's holding them in his right hand. He rules by the power of his word, which is that sharp two-edged sword that's coming out of his mouth. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. In comparison, Moses' face, when he saw just the reflection of the glory of God, it shone so much that people could not bear to look at him. And so here, Jesus shows us the glory of the Father, not merely the reflection of the glory of God, but Jesus is the very glory of God. As John writes in his Gospel, the glory of the only Son from the Father. This Jesus, the one like a son of man, is sovereign and eternally wise. He is pure and nothing is hidden from his sight. He rules not by physical sword, but by the power of his word. And his voice is majestic and effective like rushing waters. His glory can and will be seen like the sun shines in full strength in the middle of the day. He is the risen and reigning Lord Jesus, who is sovereign over all things. And John falls at his feet as though dead. The same John who was so close to Jesus during his life on earth that he would actually lay on his chest at the dinner table. The same John that was so sure of Jesus' love that he didn't refer to himself by his proper name in his gospel, but simply as the beloved one. That same John falls at his feet as though dead. This is surely the proper response to the almighty, the all-powerful, the all-knowing sovereign ruler of the heavens and the earth, isn't it? 
the vision of the risen and reigning Lord Jesus is so incredible. It's so breathtaking, so awesome, so frightening that John could do nothing other than to throw himself before his feet in fear and in awe and in worship. And surely we ought to do the same, shouldn't we? Shouldn't this remove any insincere worship? Any half-hearted devotion? Any lack of love and loyalty? If we allowed ourselves to be gripped by this image and the reality that Jesus is powerful and sovereign over all things, surely none of us should fall away from the living God in 2023. Maybe you're here this morning and you aren't too sure what to make of Jesus or God or the Christian faith. I pray that this might open your eyes to a great vision of the one true God who made you and who knows you and is calling you to himself. May we all fall at the feet of the exalted Jesus and offer him the worship that is rightfully due to him. But John's vision didn't stop there, did it? No, this same Jesus comes to John, places his right hand on him and reassures him, saying, fear not. Fear not, John. Though you have every reason to fear, because of my glory and my power and my strength and wisdom and majesty, fear not. In this moment, John, uh, Jesus is saying to John and to the seven churches and to you and to me, fear not, for I am with you and I am for you. I am in your midst. In your suffering and your trials and your tribulations, I am with you. I see you. Fear not. We need not fear, for as he says in verses 9 and 10, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. Jesus is eternal. He has conquered over everything, even death and Hades, which is the realm of the dead. He has power over everything, and he is for you. He reassures you and tells you, do not be afraid. We know that he is for us, and we need not be afraid, because he came into the world to die for us, didn't he? He died for his people to rescue them from their sin. And behold, he is alive forevermore. As John writes in his first letter, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In the opening of the book of Revelation, Jesus tells us that we can indeed be faithful in the midst of suffering and trials and tribulation, because he is sovereign over everything and because he is for you. We can be faithful because he is for us. 
we can be partners in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus and persevere because Jesus will finally conquer over his enemies of sin and the world and the devil. There is nothing that can ultimately destroy us because Jesus will ultimately destroy them. Even our last enemy, death itself and Hades, has been conquered by Jesus. And he reigns over them, holding their keys. If we truly see Jesus, our King who is sovereign over all, if we behold him in all his beauty and glory, we won't fear anything else. We can be full of confidence, whatever the opposition, whatever the situation, for Jesus reigns over all and he will strengthen his own. So for 2023, would you consider making your number one resolution to remain faithful to Jesus? And know that in no way do you need to throw it away like we might do with some of our other resolutions. For there is no trial or tribulation that can keep you from his love. Know that he will strengthen you and keep you And he is able to because he is the risen, reigning, and glorified Lord Jesus who rules over everything. And he is for you. Before the team leads us in another song and before we take communion together, would you make this prayer to him? And I'd love for us to respond to what we've heard from his word this morning. It's taken from Revelation 1 verses 5 and 6. Let this not be words simply on a screen, but a confession of trust that comes deep from your heart. Can we read this out loud together now? To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray. Gracious Father, we give you great thanks and praise for your word to us this morning. Thank you for the assurance that Jesus is sovereign and powerful over all things, and more than that, that he is for us. May we indeed be gripped by this reality, and that it would cause us to remain faithful to you until that final day when every eye will see him, and every knee will bow, and every tongue confess that he is Lord. May we look back on 2023 as another year that you have kept us and sustained us and that we will be able to live in faithfulness to you. In Jesus' matchless name we pray. Amen.